talk, we spoke about leadership, we spoke about headship, and, and uh, what we did was stir up a heap of stuff in both men and women, and that woman, it's okay, it'll all settle down after a while, and uh, it'll come right. We only just given part of the picture. Now today what I want to do is I want to uh, talk about the man's leadership. This is the last one we'll do related to the man, uh, the man's leadership, and I call this message Loving Leadership. And we want to just hit at this macho man, aggressive man, dominant man thing today and really show a man how you can lead your wife in such a way that she will love to follow you. And it'll probably be different. I want to share with you today five principles that will empower your leadership in your marriage. These are five principles. So the ways they're outworked vary from person to person. But as you take the principles and begin to effectively uh, work with them, then you'll find your marriage will change. Uh, not only that, these five principles will give any single woman something to look at in terms of when you're looking for a prospective man. If some of these things aren't there, you've got a problem coming up big time. Okay? So we'll both get something out of it. So I want to first of all look in, uh, Gen uh, in uh, Isaiah, no, sorry, Jeremiah 31 and verse 3. We need to understand that when God says that there's an order in the family, it's an order, it's the purpose he has is to bless us and protect us so we'll be benefited from that order. So when God says that the man is the head of the woman, he's not saying he's more important or that he's always right. He's just saying there's an order to get the function in the family working right. And uh, one of the things you understand about God, God never uses his power to get his way in our life. God always influences us through his love. Never ever did Jesus use his power to dominate control or direct people. He always used his love to influence them. So when we spoke of headship, we're going to describe it and touch it on it briefly. But let me just read those verses here because you need to get the heart of God if you're going to be an effective leader in the home. The Lord has appeared to me of old saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn you. And again, I will build you and you shall be built up, O virgin of Israel. You should be adorned and you should go forth with the dancers of them that make merry. Now, does that sound as though God's going to do some good things to his people? It says the result of his leadership of them is they will dance and they'll be happy. So when we want to see uh, the effect of God's work in a person's life, happy, joyful, dancing. So think about that. Husband, your wife is your glory. So if she's happy and smiling and dancing, you're doing a fantastic job. But if she's sad and depressed and gloomy and withdrawn, you really need a checkup. Okay then, so let's have a look and we're going to go through this verse and give you these principles. You ready? Okay, it says, I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn you. That word loving kindness means this. I'm going to explain it a little. It means literally to, for uh, someone who's uh, in a, an elevator position to stoop down and bend down to someone in a lower position and lift them up and treat them like an equal. How about that? It means literally to bend over and lift someone up so you treat them like an equal. So God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. With loving kindness have I attracted you or drawn you. So in other words, he says, I don't display my power and my greatness and my might, but I reach down and I place such value on you that I lift you up and I look into your eyes. I treat you like an equal. Now, we're not actually equals, but his heart is to lift us up as someone of great value to him. And then he says, with loving kindness, I have drawn you, or literally, 
I have drawn you along, I have handled you, I have touched you, or I've opened up your life. So how does God open up our life? How does God lead us or draw us or attract us? Oh, it's not with His power. His power gets our attention, but it is His loving kindness that attracts us to follow Him. It's the demonstration of God's loving kindness draws us out of ourselves, and we are attracted to it like a magnet, like bees to honey. We are drawn to the loving kindness of God. No one is drawn to the judgments of God. They scare you. People are drawn to the loving kindness of God. That word loving kindness has these kinds of meanings. It's very hard to get that word in the original language into uh, English language because there's no word describes it. You've got to use several words to try and get what they meant. So let me give you the several words that when God says, with loving kindness I've drawn you, one of the meanings of it means generosity. Generosity is very attractive. I found people like generous people and they hate misers. Have you noticed that? Generosity attracts us. So he says, with great generosity have I attracted you. It means also personal involvement and commitment and relationship beyond any legal requirements. In other words, he said, it's a hard involvement in relationship. It draws you out because I get personally involved in your life with an interest in what's happening. Uh, it also means steadfast love or devotion that never fails or stops. Now that's what attracts people to the Lord. His steadfast love and devotion, his personal involvement in how our life is getting on and his willingness to build relationship with us, his generosity, it also means his mercy, his willingness to overlook or to put aside their faults and failures and lift us up into a place of great value. Now, who wouldn't be attracted by that? That's how God attracts people. Now, if that's how God attracts people, man, guess how he wants you to attract your wife? This is what he wants to use. I'm going to show you that very clearly. I'll give you a scripture just related to that. In 1 John 4 and verse uh, 19, you know what it, the Bible tells us? It says, we love him because... Can anyone finish it? We love him because he first... So what response does God's love bring in our heart? We want to love him. So he never uses his power. He uses his power to get our attention. But the thing that attracts us to walk with him and have a relationship is his love for us. And the more you get exposed to the love of God, the more you love him. He says, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. We don't love him because we got the letter of the law. We don't love him because we saw judgments on this and that. We don't love him for those things. We love him because we experienced him reaching out, taking the initiative to love us. Oh, husbands, if you could just get a hold of that one. Your wife will love you if you will take the initiative to love her. And I mean love her. Love her. We're going to explain it because some people don't understand what that means. So we need to make it really as clear as we can. <laughs> okay then. So uh, God's love influences our life and brings us or attracts us into relationship with Him. Why don't you have a look with me in uh, Proverbs 19. Proverbs 19. The woman is saying already this is getting better. That message on headship was worrying me but now I'm feeling safer now. Uh, there'd be a few women shaken by some stroppy men over the last week or so, but it's all right. Don't worry. They're just getting stirred up to take the leadership. There's no leader how to do it. That's all right. You don't always do things right when you start out, but they're moving in the right direction. That's the big thing. Hey, praise God for that. 
Okay, praise God for that. It may, not make, it may make some mistakes on the way, but we're moving in the right direction. Okay, now, now we want to look now at the principles that empower a man's leadership. And the first principle I'm going to look at just shortly, I'll, show, I'll give you five of them. But I want you to have a look at this. It says, the desire of a man is his kindness. Or literally putting it in what it means, that quality in a man which makes him desirable is loving kindness. Now, you never get that in the pictures and the movies or the television or the videos or in society anywhere. You get That's right, rock-hard abs is what you get. Got rock-hard abs, right, that'll do it. But, you know, I haven't met a woman yet who didn't get touched when a man showed loving kindness to her. All the other stuff is image. But loving kindness flows out of a hard attitude that genuinely cares and is concerned and God is wide woman, so when a man is kind, it becomes irresistible. All the other stuff passes away. But the loving kindness always touches a woman's heart. That's why God commands man to love. Because he knows, one, man will forget to love, and two, woman is wired to receive love and respond to it. That's why he says love. It's quite simple, isn't it? Amazing, I had a group of men and we, I told them to read Ephesians 5 and they all came back with the same verse. Wives, submit to your husband. I said, what a crazy verse that is. Why would you want to read that verse? It doesn't even, see what the first word is? Wives. It doesn't apply to you. So the men, you can just cover that one up and leave it. Because actually not directed to you at all. It's none of your business. Just forget that verse because it says at the front, wives. And we've kept away from that one because I know all the men are wired to that one. I've kept away from it as long as I can. We'll get to it now, but we've got to get the men's thinking right on this one because that's the only verse they hear in the Bible. Wives, submit to your husband. I had a whole group, about seven guys, uh, uh, seven or eight guys, and out of, out of that, all but one, the only verse they could see in, Matthew, in Ephesians 5 was wives, submit to your husband. It's the only one that does not apply to you. I said, I can tell now, all of you guys have got problems. Here's the one that applies to you, husbands. He, husbands? Is that your husband? Or are you a wife? You know, I had to tell the guys, yeah, check, you know, do a check. Is this a men's group or what? We've got some women in here, then we just got to sort this one out right now. But no, I said, no, the men, husbands, love your wives. So we had to get that kind of clear. So God wants us, that which is attractive in a man is loving kindness. You become very attractive if you're a kind person. Now, Jesus, so anything that's harsh, <laughs> severe, authoritarian, legal, demanding, all of that is ugly. Men say it. Ugly. It's ugly. Angry men. Harshness. It's ugly. Very ugly. We don't need it. We want to have a gentleness. David said, thy gentleness to me has lifted me up and made me great. That's how it really works. Gentleness. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle. To all men. See, because that's the character of God, is to treat us gently. Wow. Takes it all away, doesn't it? Takes, makes headship now understand. Now, you have a look at how Jesus influenced people. He did not influence them by saying, Oh, I'm the Son of God, and I got power, boys. You get in my way, I'll fire you. <laughs> now, his disciples thought that way, though. They go into a village and they say, We don't want you, Jesus. Get out of here. The disciples said, just give us the word, Lord. And like Elijah, we'll just call fire. Fire, burn, smoke them up. <laughs> That's the spirit of many men. 
that's not God. He says, you know not what spirit you're of. He said, I've not come to destroy life, but to give life. It's just the wrong spirit, wrong attitude, wrong approach altogether. However, they were Jesus' chosen disciples. So Jesus' chosen disciples have this thing of calling fire down and judging everything. We've got to learn to get the heart of God, loving kindness, you know. So when Jesus met lepers, he touched them. He didn't have to touch them. He touched them because of kindness. When he met women, he lifted them up and forgave them. He lifted them up and brought them. He entrusted the gospel to them. The first woman uh, to, to get the word to preach was a woman. First person. You have a, have a look at Jesus' ministry. Forever he was lifting up women and actually establishing that God values them. But everywhere else in the world, from the fall of uh, Eve until now, every other place in the world, you find every other religion, every other nation, there's a suppression and a putting down and a hatred of the devil against women. We're going to get into that in another session. And men get infected with that for a variety of reasons, and they carry that spirit of darkness and oppress and hurt. And we have a nation full of abused, hurting, suffering women because they've never seen men who know how to be loving and kind and take the lead. And what the church needs and the nation needs in this hour is men who learn how to be godly men and stand up and make a difference in the church and in the community by having a whole different approach. And you don't get that in the world. You won't get it off TV. You won't get it off videos. You'll only get it in the Word of God. And we have a generation that have risen that have no fathers. So there's such a desperate need for men to learn how to put these principles into practice and then to raise up another generation that doesn't repeat all the same mistakes. And we can do it. And we want to do it. That's what God wants to happen too. So when I start speaking in about men, women don't get nervous. It's because if we get this one right, everything else starts to come right. It's not just the only thing we talk about, but we do need to push on it because it's such a problem in our nation. Okay, let me just give you five principles that will help a man to lead his uh, wife, to lead in his home. There two of them we've covered uh, already in some detail, so I'll just touch them briefly and I'll bring up the other three. But uh, the first one is, and these are principles, so there's lots of ways you outwork a principle. A principle is just like a guideline. And within that guideline, you figure out what that involves and how you outwork it, and you've got to work that out very personally. And so the Bible gives us the principles. It doesn't give us the outworking because it has to be outworked in each culture. And uh, so God's principles never change. No matter where you are, they're the same principles. Okay, now here's the first one, principle of headship. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. We'll just go and revise that. For those, this is their first time here and you're wondering what I'm talking about. We'll just read it to you, what the Word of God says. And here it is, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 3. I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. In other words, there is an order that God has set in creation, a governmental order where God is at the top, Christ is subject to him, the man is subject to Christ, and the woman is subject to the man. It's a divine order for blessing and protection. Now, who was the most exalted man in the whole of the world? There's no man being exalted more than this man. Who was that man? Who exalted him into that place? And how did he get exalted like that into that place? He submitted. In other words, he took his place in order. The father planned how he could exalt the son and the son submitted to the father's plan and now the Bible says every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The wisdom of God's plan. 
is that submission is not a problem. It's God's pathway to elevation. And when Jesus submitted to the Father's plan, it resulted in being elevated to the highest place possible. It's no wonder the Bible tells us, men, use Jesus as your example. He submitted to God's plan. So when we talk in headship, the first thing the Bible tells us is there's an order that God has set in place. It's for our blessing and for our benefit. Now Jesus, his plan is that he will lift up his people into the highest of place. He has the same kind of plan. So it says, now the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. Most men can't get back past that bit. Let me get you the first thing about headship. First thing is it got, about headship is that God wants every man to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He wants every man to recognize he can't make it on life and he, in life on his own. There are areas and dimensions he's incapable of fulfilling and achieving without a relationship with Jesus Christ. So the first aspect of headship to understand is a man must open his life to Jesus Christ. He must be born again. He must receive Jesus Christ into his heart and life and trust him and begin to surrender his life to him. Because whatever you have, whatever you've done, all of it you'll leave behind, but all you'll have in eternity is what you've built in a relationship with God. So the number one part of headship for a man is do I have a relationship with God do I talk to him, read the Bible, and listen to him for directions and submit my plans to him for guidance? It's very easy for a woman to follow a man who prays and listens to God. But it's a very scary thing for her to follow some egocentrical man who thinks he can make it through life without needing God and who will make his own life. I'm my own man and I'll build myself. Don't worry, I have it all under control you know that there's only a matter of time before there's a major problem. But when a man, a woman, hears a man kneel and bow before God and says, Father, help me to love my wife, to love my children, and to lead my home, that inspires confidence, inspires woman to follow. Here's a second aspect of uh, headship, is leadership. To be the head of the home or to be the head of the woman, you must take the assumed responsibility to lead. Headship is about assuming the responsibility to lead. Now, what does that mean? It means taking initiative. Taking the initiative. Don't wait for your wife to do everything. Have a look around and take initiative. It means listening to her, finding out her needs and concerns. How can you lead someone if you don't know what their needs are? You all got so quiet. Turn to someone and say, I think this is speaking to me right now. <laughs> Oh, you get all, right, everyone gets very, very quiet and serious. <laughs> so, taking initiative. It means setting a personal example. Man, let me just ask you this. Does the way you conduct yourself inspire a woman to follow you? The way you speak and act and carry on? Is she embarrassed by you? Is she embarrassed to be with you because of how you handle yourself? You make a fool of yourself, your attitudes, the way you conduct your life, the way you speak. Are you setting an example for your wife and your family to follow? Because that's what leadership is. You've, you've got to take initiative, you've got to take responsibility, you've got to set the, set the example, set the pace. You're not a prayer, why would anyone else pray? You're standing a wait for somewhere else. Be an example in these areas. So you begin to ask, Think about your example now. We're going to get a bit more specific in some of these areas. Oh, I can see the men now. You'll think you've got a case of worms. You'll feel so uncomfortable, but it's okay. 
A dose of the Word of God will fix you up wonderfully. You just need drenching, that's all. <laughs> Come from the farming community. When, they, when the sheep get trouble, they get drenched. It sorts out what's inside. And next week, we're going to do that. We're going to talk about men and women being reconciled to one another, and it'll be a good chance to drench out all the worms that get inside us and give us funny attitudes to one another that stop us flowing together. So that first, the first principle, the principle of headship. Now the second principle, Ephesians 5 verse 31, is that we've already touched on this one, so I won't go too far with it. It's the principle of bonding, God's principle or law of bonding. So let me describe it and we see how that works. So for those women who are single, if you're looking for a man, find one who will take responsibility. Find one who's connected to God and praise. Because if those things aren't there, how are you going to lead, how's he going to lead you? How will he lead you in God? How will he give leadership? If he doesn't know God, he doesn't pray to God, he doesn't talk to God, how can he lead you? If he won't take responsibility for his mistakes, he's too proud to admit he made a mistake, how will he take responsibility in the home? You'll be the one to blame for everything. So look for a man who takes responsibility and connects with God. That'd be a good start to look for, wouldn't it? Okay, here's a second quality. This is the principle of bonding. It says, uh, verse 31, This cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The two of them shall become one flesh. And this is a mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, he's talking here about God's law of bonding. Now, God has set a principle in place. Because we're not just body and soul, we actually have a spirit. It is possible for two people's lives to begin to flow together and begin to bond together. Spiritually, we can bond. We can come connected by certain things. God has designed certain things so that when we do them, we begin to bond with people. So you, uh, and, and this applies, it's just a law. And uh, one of the things that God has, has uh, said in place is when two people are involved sexually, they become bonded to one another, soul tied to one another, connected to one another. So sexual intimacy is an important part in marriage of maintaining a bonding or a closeness. Sexual intimacy will actually strengthen the bonding of a husband and a wife. Now, the Bible tells us in this, there's another thing that we can do that helps us bond as well. The Bible says a man must leave and then cleave. So, before you can cleave, you have to leave some things. And we, one of the things you've got to leave, you've got to leave some things behind from your home. You've got to leave unresolved issues. You've got to deal with issues with your parents because if you've got attitudes against father and mother, you carry baggage in and you'll have trouble connecting with your wife. So we talked about a man needing to be freed and leave behind the defilements of previous relationships, sexual encounters, and things that have come through from his family background, generational things that defile him and stop him cleaving to his wife. If a man has been involved sexually with others, it's hard for him to bond intimately with his wife because he's got all the junk in his life. But when he comes to Christ, opens his life for ministry and begins to renounce and put off those things. That means you get the photos, get rid of the photos. You get rid of everything so you can cleave and become one. That means you don't have any secret pictures, secret books, secret videos, secret chat rooms on the internet. You have no one else but your wife as the one you will bond to. And of course we have to guard because today there are so many pressures and temptations to bond elsewhere. And we shared quite a few ways that could happen. Now, in order to bond with your wife, one is regular sexual relationship, but the other is that you open your heart to one another. Because the Bible tells us in Matthew 6 and 21, where your treasure is, 
there will your heart be also. So when you begin to take what is precious to you and invest it into a relationship with someone, you begin to bond. Now that law of bonding works. You get two people working together and they share their hearts, their struggles, their fears, their concerns. They begin to bond. Uh, some uh, some uh, guys uh, in the military together, they, they have to stand together, they have to connect together, they flow together, have experiences together. They begin to form a bonding that sometimes lasts for life. So the law of bonding becomes activated the moment you invest treasure in... You begin to invest those things into your wife. You make a sacrifice. Because with that sacrifice, there comes a treasure investment into your wife. So putting that simply, here's a couple of things you need to do. And here's the first one. You need to have time together. You need to have quality time together. It's not sitting watching the TV or reading a paper or anything like that. There's actually time to talk and meet and interact. One thing that can help do that is you actually do something together. You go for a walk together. Begin to play a game together. Go out on a date together. Wonderful. He went up and stood by the fountain and watched the lovely lights change. We went up on the bluff hill. You have to do something, you know. It just doesn't happen by chance. You actually have to make time and sacrifice. So go dating together. I used to have a, a date with my children because they had pressure of ministry. I had six children. It was very, very difficult. So whatever was having, each, each child had a day and we had a time together. So you get to look forward to it and you plan what you can do together and you begin to build anticipation. Then you invest time and you begin to share. Now you've got to actually share something you both enjoy doing together. So, so we found there's a variety of things that the kids like. We could do that. Now, you begin to bond as you do things together. You get tempting. It's a bonding forms. You go out and we have family holidays. There are bonding forms in those things. We have family meals. It's to bond. It's because if you don't do it, you'll fly apart. You fly apart not because you want to, but just because you neglect it. So it requires sacrifice. You can't build a unity and a bonding in a relationship without a sacrificial giving. You have to invest into it somewhere. And that means giving something is precious. And so it, it may be uh, gifts. I gave my wife a lovely anniversary gift. And as I gave it to her, and it cost me heaps, I felt a deep love for her arising in my life. <laughs> She's wearing it today. But see, it, but it's, it's that it represents something of you. You give it, and it reduces the bonding. But with that, there needs to be talking. And that means sharing beyond superficial, sharing your heart and your feelings. Beginning to take enough time that you open up. Now, a lot of guys don't do that. <clears throat> that's all you get out of them. That's not good enough. All they get from some wives, some get from their husbands is grunts. <clears throat> that's a shocking thing. She depends on you for the source of stimulation in her thinking and emotions. And all you get is... That's not good enough. Yes, that's right. Turn off the television, light a candle, have some supper together, sit next to one another, whatever it is. Those kinds of things. You've got to think about them. Be creative. You don't need to have a great amount of money, but you do need to be creative. And anyway, what it does involve is that you do things together. So one, I mean, we were dating, we took up to our, we got up early and went fishing and had breakfast on the wall. Wasn't that lovely? Well, I thought it was lovely anyway. We had a great time. <laughs> I used to do all sorts of things. I used to take her out to a place called Orsini's where they had 
So violin played at the table, any song you like. It was wonderful, I still remember it. Violin still moved my heart. Why? Because there's an investment. It just doesn't happen. You can pray all your life, but you've got to do other things as well. You've got to guard that in there. So you've got to guard that no one else gets in your heart. And see, one of the things today that's dragging a lot of, it's interesting things that's dragging a lot of women into adultery is chat rooms on the internet. Because they get talking and the man on the internet says things that the husband ought to say, but he's too busy or doesn't give her attention. It's like watering a plant. If you, you water it with words. And if you don't water your wife's soul, then she dies. And then you have problems. So we want to build bonding. Okay, we've gone far enough, but it's already getting too tense. Let's just go to the next principle. <laughs> Let's go to Genesis 2. We'll see if we can do better at the next one. So we don't flip the cards up and give one out of ten or two out of ten or whatever. Just nod your head. The wives all knew this was true. The men are just finding it out. And the men will encourage one another to do all these things. Verse 18. The Lord, God, the Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. It's not good to be alone. So here it is, the principle of partnership. It's not good for you to be on your own. God wants you to have someone to be with, to work with, walk with, those kinds of things. Now, this is a relationship where the man and the woman begin to fit together and flow together with their mutual giftings. Now, it didn't mean that the woman just did her thing and he did his thing. It's actually a partnership in life. In uh, 1 Peter 3, 7 says, ears together of the grace of life. You are partners in life. And partners carry something into it which is different. Now, of course, the thing that's in my wife that uh, I was attracted to was the differences. That afterwards, they become the irritations. <laughs> Until you realize that she's got her strengths and weaknesses and I've got my strengths and weaknesses. And when we put them together, they just seem to fit just like that. And it works wonderfully if we just flow together. She's great at some things, and I submit to her in those things. <laughs> well, the Bible says, it's an interesting thing. There's only two passages that tell us about the headship of a man. And I know the men all gloated and rejoiced when I told them those passages. But I hope you read the Bible and read what else was in there, in which case you'd find in both passages, either just before or just after, it tells us, submit to one another. In other words, that there is a mutual receiving of one another's giftings and strengths in the relationship. So you need to, these are some practical ways of putting this principle of partnership into, into practice. There's some simple things to it. You've you got to flow as a team. Biggest thing is team. Here's the first thing is, quite very simple. Accept your wife's differences or your partner's differences and celebrate them. Don't get down on them and try and change them. You don't want a clone of you, you want someone different. So accept the differences and the strengths and rejoice in them. What my wife is good at, I'm not. So I celebrate, she's very good at it, and I draw from her strength in that area. It helps me to grow in that area. Second thing is, share responsibilities in the home according to the giftings. Now that's a new one, because a lot of people have got rigid ideas how the home is run. Now when I was raised up in, a, in, a, in an Irish family, and... The man's role was outside the home. So he did the garden, the garage, the car, and the work. When he came home, that was it. It was over. He was home. Sit down. Now in the home, the woman was king. And so she ran everything in the home. That's how it worked. Two separate worlds. But that's all changed now. 
And that's cultural and it happened to be for that era, but there's nothing biblical necessarily about it. It just happened to be the way they did things in that time. The common sense thing with any team is find out what each one is gifted to and drawn to and deploy them in that area. So that means you can share what you do. Now, for example, some people think, well, the man's got to run all the finances. Now, in some homes, that would be a disaster. He can't even balance the checkbook. But the wife's great at it, so let her do it. And not feel bad about it. But if she takes control of it, oh, that's another thing. There's a difference between managing something under leadership and taking control of it and usurping leadership. There's a difference between letting your wife run something as part of a delegated flow, recognizing a gift and deploying it. There's another thing to cop out altogether. You understand that? When the man cops out, she feels the weight. When he takes responsibility and they make joint decisions, then it works out just great. Does it make sense? So it's very, very simple. So you work it out. So everyone's got to work it out differently. And so, you know, maybe the men have just got to run around and if you don't like the home being untidy, we'll go around and tidy it up. Simple as that. If you feel strongly about it, you do it. Or get one of the kids to work with you in doing it. It's no big deal. No big deal. It's no big deal if you do anything in the home. Just do it if it needs to be done. I found after we had two children that we had to have major changes in the home. Actually, I'll correct that, major changes in me. <laughs> I had to change. And so I used to think, well, you know, work's work and the home's a home. George got the home, I got the work. Then we had two children and it all changed. And I had to really get my act together, wake up and start to get involved. And then I realized that between five and seven, if the man wasn't around when he got a young family, this was very bad. Well, it's a bad time. You can be there away any time you like, but not between five and seven when there's meal and there's a baby and there's bath and there's getting this one ready, that one ready, and the phones go, all that kind of stuff. That's just the time. How many men know what I'm saying now? Yeah, that's right. You be there then. You, I mean, you, two hours then will count you for the whole day just about. But if you're not there, you can't make up with it with a whole day. <laughs> so just go work a partnership thing in this area and uh, figure out who's got the strengths. So women have got strengths to bring into the relationship that need to be accepted, celebrated, and listened to. Now, that's the third part of being a partner. You need to listen and don't react when your wife shares her cares. Why don't you look with me in 1 Kings chapter 12. I'll say it again. Listen and don't react to her concerns and cares. Honey, I'm just concerned a little bit about this. Don't worry about it. Don't be like that. That won't work. If this is going to work, you've got to realize your wife will have the heart of the home. She will sense what's going on. She will feel things you don't feel. Men see the big picture down the line. They often miss what's under their nose. And, but the wife, your wife knows exactly what's under your nose, and she will tell you. And so you need to listen to her cares and concerns. That's how you work as a partner. If you're going to lead, you've got to listen. Here it is in 1 Kings uh, chapter 12 and verse uh, 7. And uh, this is a time when King Rehoboam is about to take over the nation of Israel and uh, he's about ready to take over. His dad's died. He's going to be the new king. And it's a huge nation, a wealthy nation, prosperous nation. And he's about to take over. So he asked for some advice from the old men. And this is the advice the old men give him. Because here's a young buck who's just become king. He's really wanting to make a mark. And so they said, this is what they say, if you will be a servant today. Now, he didn't want to hear that. If you will be a servant. Come on, I'm the king. King. King of the castle. No, he said, if you will be a servant and will serve them. Now, 
He says, and, this, and answer them and speak good words to them. They will be your servants forever. He said, if you want these people to follow you, you've got to have a servant heart and a servant attitude and a servant spirit and give consideration to their needs. That word answer them means literally to eye them or to look so that you become aware of what their needs are and then speak kindly and encouraging to them. So he says, if you will be a servant, minister and meet their needs that they have, be sensitive and aware with what they're going through and facing and speak encouragement to them. You know what will happen? They'll just love to run after you and follow you. Now, man, wouldn't that be a great verse to put into practice? If you just start to do those things. And you think, well, that's not me. Well, that's what the young man said. He said, that's not me. He listened to the young man. They said, now listen, don't listen to those old fellows there. What would they know? Listen, if you're going to be a king, you've got to show them who's boss. He said, what you want to do is just get tough. Now listen, around here, you're going to line up. So he did that, and guess what happened? He lost 10 out of the 12 tribes. He was left with just a little wee handful following him. And it's written in the Bible to learn from, if you want to lead people, you must have the heart of a servant. You serve the purpose of God by ministering to the needs of the people under your leadership and seeing that you're sensitive to them, aware of them, care for them, and that you speak encouragement to them, not harshly or hardly. Now that's written in there for us to learn from. Now so many men just carry on like that way in their home. How could you ever expect your wife to follow you? You'll teach her to hate you, resent you, and rebel against you. And you teach your children to, to, to treat women and mistreat women. We've got to get out of that spirit. It's the spirit of the world. Jesus said in, in Matthew 20, about 26, he said this. He said, in the world they lord over and dominate one another and boss one another around. He said, it shall not be so among you. You always want to remember this. Your wife is also a sister in the Lord. And she's a joint heir with you. She's treated with respect and value. And you listen to her needs and concerns. The Bible says of Jesus, Jesus, when he came to the disciples, John 13, says he took off his garments and he got out a basin of water and he washed their feet, which was the job of the lowest slave. Wouldn't it be nice if all the men after they went home, remember the last time I sent you home? Someone manifesting as they went. <laughs> and I asked you to ask your wife this question. Are there things that I do that make you feel insecure and unsafe? And I could see some of the men. Some of the women say, just ask, just ask. And is it safe to tell them? If I tell them, what will happen? But I know one, one, one guy, he went home immediately. He, he listened to his wife and did some things straight away. Now, here's, the, here's one for today. One would be like he went home and said, honey, I'd like to do what Jesus did. I'd like to wash your feet. She'd be shocked for days. <laughs> you see, it's the heart of a servant to minister. It's not the washing of feet. It's the serving. It's the serving. It's the heart that, like God, his loving kindness doesn't look down, but rather he stoops down himself and lifts us up and treats us like an equal. Isn't that amazing? Now, that's, now who, could, who could not follow that kind of leadership? Hello? You're all getting quiet. You got that starey look again. I can <laughs> Turn to someone and tell them, I think you ought to do it washing someone's feet. I think that's you he's talking about there. Okay, so husbands who won't listen are in for a big problem. Okay, here's the next principle. We're going to get through this now. Two more principles. I'll give them quite quickly. 1 Peter 3, verse 7. 1 Peter 3 and verse 7. Now, and then we'll show you just how to get started because you, 
it could just about, you know, the men are getting lower and lower in the seats, and I see the wives sitting up higher and higher, but your turn will come. <laughs> we should not gloat over someone else's struggles. We should encourage and pray for our men that they will arise up, because that's what we want. 1 Peter 3, verse 7, now this is what it says, likewise, in other words, it's talked about the woman, it says, you husbands, your husband, this is for you. But if you're a woman looking for a husband, have a look for a man who carries on like this. He'd be a good catch if you could find one. Hard to find these days, though. They're very rare. Very rare. Because they don't know to do these things. Feminism has taken it all away. I heard of, I heard of this guy. I heard a thing, and uh, um, I read somewhere, and this guy has in a bus, and he stood up for a, a woman, and uh, she's obviously feminist. She said, you don't need to stand up for me because I'm a woman. And he said, that's not why I'm standing up. I'm standing up because I'm a man. That's not bad, is it? I thought that was pretty good. Okay, here it is. Likewise, you husbands dwell with them according to knowledge. In other words, learn how to understand your wife, a lifelong calling, understanding your wife. Giving, <laughs> giving honor unto your wife as to the weaker vessel, lest your prayers be hindered. So it says, give honor. Here's the principle. Honor your wife. Otherwise, your prayers will be shot down. There you are praying for your business to succeed. God shoots them down. God watches. No, he's not honoring his wife. Poof! Those prayers I don't even listen to. You're praying for your business, your money to come right, and, and, and God looks, hey, treat your wife. He says, forget it. You're praying for wisdom and direction, and you're wanting God to help you in your life, and he looks, hey, you treat your wife. Hey, forget it. In other words, now that gives wives a great confidence. Because what you know is this, that you can trust that God will sort this guy out big time. When God gets on his case, he can really, really get this thing sorted out. So the Bible says, husbands, honor your wife. Now, to honor means to prize, to value, or to invest value in the person so they have great honor and great value. Now, I read this interesting story about a man in the islands, up in the Solomon Islands. And uh, in the Solomon Islands, they pay a dowry for the woman. And uh, this particular woman, he wanted to marry, and she wasn't a very attractive woman. And uh, they used to pay a, a dowry of, of uh, one uh, cow or cattle beast. Uh, if the you know, the woman's pretty, that's what they do, still do that sort of thing up there. And if there was three, the woman was really, I mean, quite something. And this woman was not all that attractive, and, and people never thought she'd get married. And this man wanted to marry her, and so he considered how he could get over the reproach that everyone would have, oh, you've married this woman, this is not very nice. And so this is what he did. He bought, he got 10 or 12 cattle beasts and he paid them for the dowry. And everyone went, oh. wow. Even the best we've ever heard of, three, 12. Whoa. They, took, they looked with great respect. Now she hadn't changed one bit, but he had invested value in her. He'd honored her. He'd put honor on her life. And so honor is something you choose to do. You choose to value. Now, let me give you a few things you can do to honor a woman. Now, woman, if you're looking for a good man, you won't want to treat women right. So here, our first one, treat them with respect. Respect means they listen to their thinking and listen to their opinions, listen to their feelings. They include them in the decisions. A lot of men make decisions without including their wife. That's very dishonoring to her. Treats her as having nothing of value to contribute. Uh, you make uh, her feel special. Give her a rose. Give her a flower. Honor her. Find ways to treat her so she feels special. 
You've got a single red rose. I love you. A little note. I love you. Isn't it wonderful? Those things. I've still got in here a lovely note that my wife wrote to me. I keep it in my Bible because it means a lot to me. I've got drawers full of notes from the kids. They're special. So treat with respect manners. Now, here's a good one. Manners. Now, what waking on a woman is having manners. Now, manners means you open the door. Well, it shows the general state that you open the door. Open the door to let her in. Open the car door to let her in. You pull the seat out for her to sit down. You offer the pass thing. It seems too good to be true, doesn't it? They used to do it a few years ago. It's just this culture has taken it all away. Wouldn't it be good if we had a generation of men who honoured their wife and treated them like they were the queen? Honoured, valued, esteemed. Didn't, did things like that, wouldn't they? Woman, would you like that? Would you find a man like that hard to follow? That wouldn't be hard to follow, would it? Is there one there? That's what we want to know. Is there, is, is there one such like that? Is there such a man? Well, you choose to be that kind of man. You just make decisions. You'll start to honour women, value them. Uh, you'll have manners. You'll give eye contact, hold your hands. Well, one way is you don't walk ahead of them. That's why i got to watch that one. Hold the hand and walk together. I was at one, we were over in Fiji having a lovely honeymoon experience. I look over and I thought, what the heck's wrong with you two over there? Two people sitting there, and they're in Fiji, sitting by the waterfront, the candles are there, the, the music is playing, and we're holding hands, having a very intimate romantic moment, and the two of them are sitting reading books. I almost, I, it was all I could do not to go over and grab the box and say, relate to one another. What's wrong with you? So honouring. When she wants to talk, give her your attention. Another way you honour your wife is by faithfulness in sexually, in not looking at other women or allowing your heart to go towards other women. That dishonours your wife.
Getting quiet again. So but just think about these things. How do I honor my wife? And finally, the last principle, Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, the principle of loving kindness. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself. It attracts women if you show loving kindness. How do you show it? Well, you extend grace to their differences and their failings, and you forgive them. You don't let your heart harbor anger and bitterness. You offer practical support and help. You show acts of kindness. You speak the truth. One of the things that helps build a loving relationship is sharing out of your heart and talking honestly and openly about things instead of having it all cut up. Most of the men have trouble speaking about their feelings. My wife comes to talk to me about feelings and she'll ask me a few things and I have moments when I disappear into a cave and I try to work it all out. She says, hello, you still there? And the voice from inside the cave, only just. <laughs> then I worked out that I didn't have to work it all out. We could just interact and start to share what we felt without feeling I had to have an answer or fix it up. You don't have to fix it up, man. You just need to connect and express loving kindness. That which is desirable in a man is loving kindness. Why don't we just bow our heads right now? The most loving and kind person I've ever known is Jesus Christ. What a wonderful person. Loved us, forgave us, went to the cross for us. He'd be hard to resist his love. I wonder, is there any person here who is at a point in your life where you say, I am ready to receive Jesus Christ. I've been living a life cut off from that love, that life of God. I've been running my life myself, my own way. But today, there's something in my heart that's saying, I want to become a follower of Christ. I want to receive Jesus Christ. Inside, there's a struggle going on. Perhaps you've had people talk to you about the Lord. You've had Christians talk to you. And as you're here today, God has drawn you. And you're thinking in your heart, I really do want to know God. The Bible says... Jesus said these words, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open up, I will come into him. Jesus desires to put his spirit in your heart and change you on the inside. He just wants you to say yes. The Bible says, to as many as received Jesus Christ, he gave power to become children of God. God, you have to be born into your family of God by a relationship with Christ. I believe you're ready to make that decision right now. I want you just to, while eyes are closed and heads are bowed, I want you to just lift your hand and say, I'd like to become a Christian. I'm not concerned what people think of me or what the world thinks of me. I just want my relationship with God to come right today. I want to receive Jesus Christ. Is that you, friend? Why don't you raise your hand right now to say, I want to become a Christian. I want to give my life to Christ. God bless. I see the hand over there. Is there any other man would say, any other person say that? See hand just over there. Does anyone else say, I want to become a Christian today? Raise your hand so I can see it. You can put your hand down, sir. Is there anyone else say, I want to become a Christian? Just raise your hand so I can see it. I'm sure there'll be at least one or two other Christian, uh, people here today that would want to discover Christ. Every relationship starts with a step. A step of opening our life to another person. Today, that's the step I'm asking you to take. That you'll open your life up to Christ. He died on the cross for your sins. Would you say yes to him today? Why don't you quickly raise your hand? God bless. Thank you. See that hand over there. Is there anyone else who would say, I want to become a Christian today? I want to invite Christ into my heart and life. 
He won't hurt you. He'll never abuse or use you. Jesus Christ loves you. Is that you today? Would you say, that's me. I want to become a Christian. I wonder today how many men have felt God really spoke to you and challenged you. Say, God, you've been talking to me today. Perhaps it's in the area of taking responsibility and initiative. Perhaps it's in the area of uh, bonding and connecting with your wife intimately far more. Perhaps it's in the area of uh, honoring her and valuing her. Perhaps it's in the area of sharing and partnering together. Perhaps it's in the area of just of kindness towards you. God's speaking to you today. Why don't you just raise your hand and say, God's been talking to me today. I want to make some changes. God bless. Many men putting their hands up to say that's good. Let me just give you how you can start. It's very simple. You do this. You take one thing. You ask God and your wife what you could do that would help implement that. And then day by day, you just take that one thing and work at it until your life starts to change. Say, God, help me to grow in that area. We'll be working with men to do this. I want to raise up a generation of men that know how to love and honor women. I think I'd be a great credit to the Lord, wouldn't you? And I think that would raise up godly women too. Because women being honored, it would help them overcome so much of what's happened in their life. Let's just stand together, shall we? We're going to have a last closing song. Encourage you to come along tonight. We've got a gospel meeting and a great time together ministering in the power of God. But just as you stand together right now, there are two people put your hand up that you want to become a Christian. I'd love you to make your way down the front to me here. I'll only keep you about two or three minutes. We will pray a simple prayer and lead you to Jesus Christ. If you came with a Christian, they'll come down with you. This will only take a couple of moments. Please just make your way to the front right now. Would you come? Let's give them a great clap as they come. People making a decision to receive Jesus Christ.